They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. The following is a fourth-hand production. Welcome to another episode of the Juana Juan Podcast. I'm your host, Juan. Today we talk to Thomas Hatzis. Tom Hatzis writes and speaks on psychedelic and entheogenic history. He is the author of The Witch's Ointment, The Secret History of Psychedelic Magic, Psychedelic Mystery Traditions, Spirit Plants, Magical Practices, Ecstatic States, and Microdosing Magic, a Psychedelic Spellbook. He has appeared on the Gaia TV show Beyond Belief with George Norrie, Psychedelica, and Open Minds with Regina Meredith, as well as having articles published in Psychedelic Press UK and the Journal of Psychedelic Studies. He is the curator of the Psychedelic History Project Library, the world's largest online repository. Along with partner Eden Woodruff, Hatsis co-runs Sanctum Psychedelica, a psychedelic education and harm reduction group, which hosts the annual Guyan Mind Psychedelic Conference. Finally, Hatsis is an activist pushing for the decriminalization of plant medicines in his home state of Oregon. When not fully engaged spreading psychedelia, he writes and performs music and plays roller derby. On today's episode, we break down the use of psychedelic and psychoactive substances with Tom in different religions and different practices. We talk about other things as well some clarifications of some things I've said wrongly on the show before. And I'll go out and say that I sometimes say things that aren't correct because I'm only remembering information and regurgitating it back the way I see fit sometimes. And it's like playing telephone. Sometimes you get it wrong, but we talk about that. We talk about the supposed symbolism of mushrooms in Christianity and that Christianity is a mushroom cult. And they go as far as saying that Jesus was a mushroom. I, for one, was a person that 
have talked about this and jokingly I've said it before but since I had a scholar of this sort of of this realm on the show I decided to ask him because he does talk about this and we also debunked the whole Santa Claus was an Amanita Muscaria along with other things so without further ado this is Psychedelia in Religion with Thomas Hatzis. Welcome to the show Tom and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me man. I appreciate it. I'd come across your work a few months ago and when I was looking into what I just told you about the Bavarian purity law, and we can talk about that sure. later. And today we're going to be talking about psychedelia in in religion and a little bit about everything. We're going to be talking about psychedelics as well. I just told you that I, I've started growing my first my first mushrooms about four months ago and i had my my first experience with them about three weeks ago obviously from my own from myself from my own cultivation i took my own uh supply i guess you could say i don't feel like you could know the whole truth without actually you know i talk about psychedelics all the time dmt lsd all these different substances and i had never tried them so i felt obviously it was a learning process for me and it's i'm a kind of guy who I like the process of things. So that's why I started this podcast, the process, meeting people like you, learning from people like you. And I like to bring people on because there's some things like I told you that I think I know about when in reality I don't know shit. So sure. that, that that's what that's my main thing. I, I I at the end of the day I don't know shit and I learn from people like you and from different sources. So well we all learn together. Yeah, exactly. But somebody like you who's dedicated their life to researching topics that we're going to talk about today, obviously going to be more well-versed than me who watch a couple YouTube videos on it and read a couple articles and it's like, okay, I'm good to go, right? <laughs> and what I admire about you is that I've seen a couple of your lectures and when people ask you questions I do, you don't know about, you flat out tell them, I don't know. Well, and yeah. I'd rather... And no, I'd rather not talk about it because I don't know about it, right? Be, instead of spreading false information, because I know I know how you feel about conspiracy theorists. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it, there, there are far too many people spreading bullshit, and um, you know, I just I to the best of my ability, I don't want to contribute to that. Now, there might be things that I say that are incorrect, um, but you know that happens to everybody. It's when people like are palpably you know, ignorant of something and they talk about it, uh, that I get a little, but I think everybody gets like that, you know, in your, in your own subject area, you know, um, I call it, uh, shitting on my kitchen floor <laughs> and it's like, so I have this house and it's this house that I've spent a lot of time building and I, you know, I, I checked all the plumbing in it, all the carpentry, no termites, no nothing. And then somebody just walks in and takes a shit right on my kitchen floor. And it's like, well, why did you do that? I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I don't like I wouldn't go on, let, let's say, uh, Joe Rogan, who who has some of the most backwards ideas about historical psychedelic. And I like him. I'm a fan of his, but he doesn't know anything about uh, psychedelic history. Then it's like, well, how would he feel if me, knowing nothing about martial arts, got on the one on one podcast and said, hey, you know what? In order to be a mixed martial artist, you have to uh, take up smoking, uh, eat McDonald's three times a day and kick every puppy you see. Joe Rogan would be, well, he doesn't have hair, but he would be flipping out because I would be taking a shit right on his kitchen floor. I so, agree. 
you know, that's all it is. I just think that, you know, we all, uh, I don't know, it's, it's okay to discuss things and it's okay to speculate about things. But when people speak with confidence about absolute, you know, like, and it's just bullshit, it's just, you know, there's just too much of it. We're just, we're drowning in bullshit. Like, I don't know how old you are, but I, I'm a little bit older probably. There was a time in my life when there was a lot less bullshit because the internet didn't exist yet. Yeah. I, I like the internet. I like I, the internet, but. You know. I posted a quote not too long ago on my Instagram. I was like, there's more information now and less meaning. There's more information in time now than there ever was, but less meaning. And it's like, it's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. Because like, we all have, I mean, we have, computers in our pockets but we're watching you know justin TikTok. bieber on youtube so it's like well what does it matter that you have the world's information not at your fingertips if you're watching justin bieber it doesn't matter yeah yeah and that's and that's society that's conditioning that's where they have us we'd rather watch keeping up with the kardashians than learn about things that actually matter right? yeah of course because now you'll just be an obedient consumer that gives a shit what the kardashians are doing Instead yeah. of like focusing on your own life and your own, you know, your own power, really. And that's, I guess, what 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 is a little uh, what's the word? It's sad, really, because you want to see people like recognize and hone their own magic and their own power and wield it in a way, a force for good in the world that benefits society. But they're on YouTube, like watching flat earth videos. And it's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it's sad. Before we get any further into it, Tom, can you share where people can find your work and reach out to you if they wanted to after, you know, before we dive in here? <laughs> sure, absolutely. You know, it's funny because that's usually the last question interviewers ask after nobody, yeah, after everybody has stopped listening to the I podcast. do it at the beginning and I do it at the end. So I love that. That's great, man. Uh, so psychedelichistorian.com or Instagram at psychedelichistorian. And um, uh, oh, Facebook.com slash Psychedelic Historian. And uh, we're putting up a, a new website that's going to be the world's largest online repository of psychedelic literature. That's PsychedelicHistoryProject.com. It's not up yet. There's nothing there. Uh, but in a few months, there's going to be almost every article ever written on psychedelia from the late 1800s all the way up to the present day. That's awesome. That That's really cool. And like I told you today, we're going to get a little bit metaphysical. We're going to talk about the actual things that you found through your research. So the first question I always ask everybody, it gets a little deep, but who is Thomas Hatzis? The worst interviewee you will ever encounter. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't, I, I'm not that deep. No. I'm just a person. There's nothing, you know, like this, there's, you know, <laughs> right there's on. nothing there. Sorry. I, I wish that I were this very deep, insightful Spiritual person. Spiritual person. Here, here sure. I was. I've had people tell me all types of things. I am everything and I am nothing. And here's Tom, the worst interviewee. <laughs> well, you know what it is? I'm not that pretentious. I wouldn't say that I'm everything and nothing all at once. I am the dancing cosmos of the infinite mind. Uh, yeah, maybe that's true. But I mean, would you ever really say that out loud? You know, like, yeah. Come on. <laughs> um, I think I heard you say something about we are the universe trying to understand ourselves. Is that you that I heard say that? 
Well, that's uh, that's Carl Sagan. I, I quoted Sagan. that in my book, Microdosing Magic, a psychedelic spell book. But yeah, that's Carl Sagan. Uh, yeah, we're, we're all yeah, we're the in, we're the universe trying to know itself. And um, that's actually one of the reasons that I'm against things like keeping up with the Kardashians. Like it's, it's weird. It's like I'm not against the Kardashians at all. I, I'm, I wish them nothing but success and happiness in life. I'm against people giving a shit about keeping up with them instead yeah. of, you know, uh, fostering and manifesting their own dreams and desires and bringing their personal spark of the universe into life. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, I get you. People are worried about the wrong things always, it seems like. But like I said, that's the conditioning of society and how we're in this simulation, if you will. <laughs> oh, you're you're a simulation theory guy? I don't know what I am anymore, Tom. I I like to keep an open mind, but not so much that my brain falls out, but just yes. enough to be able to. And obviously, I had never, ever tried any type of psychoactive substance. And it definitely puts you in another realm. And it just makes me believe it. I can't. I've, I've talked to a lot of friends, a couple friends of mine who have had 5-MeO NNDMT and I asked him I said what happens after we die and and I like to sometimes think that maybe nothing happens and we just turn to nothing and it's not going to hurt to be nothing because nothing is is nothing is nothingness but then I have buddies of mine who have had these crazy experiences on DMT and have met these entities and all these crazy experiences who I can't have that conversation with them because they obviously know that there's something more to this then meets the eye well we don't know what like we believe so what i would say to that and i have said this before is that so with five five meo cured what i called my adult onset atheism in that it did the same thing for me and made me realize well for me anyway and of course i could be wrong um one of the arguments against my position is that you know we're all making it up in our heads you know when, when we have these but the simulacra was that that simulacra when we give these things power and at the end of the day it's just a symbol it's not anything except what we make it to be sure but the thing is that i'm not that creative which is why i write history and not novels and <laughs> the truth no seriously seriously there is no way like i've done five meo i've done io i've done all of it like every like i've done all of them and there, I am not that creative. I could never make up what I'm seeing. I could not make up the entities I encounter. Like, I'm just, I'm not that creative of a person. And I like, I wish I were that creative. I'd love to come back. Yeah, I just invented all that. And now I'm going to go write, you know, the next great American novel on this because it's, I'm just that creative, but I'm not, <laughs> you know, just, so that's why I think there actually is something there. And I side with the people who are saying that they're meeting these entities and having these real encounters because again, I'm just, I'm not that creative. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I believe in the more I look into this and we're going to get a little bit in or about early Christianity because it fascinates me. And I talk a lot about ancient civilizations on my show, the correlation there. And starting last night, I opened up another can of worms with a buddy of mine where I'm learning about, I don't know if you've heard about Tartaria. Have you heard about that? No. 
Well, it's like it's Tartarus a... from like the Greek underworld. No, not Tartarus, Tartaria. Oh. No, it's... no, not familiar. It's uh, it's a wormhole. I'll I'll send you videos on it after the Please. show. But pretty much is the we have obviously time is a construct of humanity that was made up and constructed by Joseph Scaliger with Scaligerian chronology. Okay. Pretty much the AD and BC system that we we have today. Oh. But he just so happens to be a Jesuit and it just goes down there, you know, the Kabbalah and all this stuff. It's pretty much why the Druze run the world type thing and oh, how they <laughs> yeah, how they've hidden the origins of humanity. And, actually, and, and it, we actually come from Ireland and the Irish and all this crazy. It's it's really deep and pretty much just blows everything else out of the water that I've learned like you have the World Fair of 1893, where you have 694 acres of these crazy, beautiful buildings. And they were used for six months and just torn down in Chicago. Sure. But it's, it's very strange, very strange. I can send you some stuff after the show on it. But before uh, we start talking about this, I want you to tell the, the people a little bit about you and what you do in your work. And then... Maybe we could talk about the books that you've written. I know you've written uh, a, a couple. I I know you also do witchcraft. Correct me if I'm wrong. And yes. studied it. Uh, can you talk and tell the people a little bit about your work and what you do? Sure. Uh, I write on psychedelic history. I do my best. So one. Let me let me just clear this up. So history is not an exact science at all. Um, history works off probabilities. So everything that I'm going to say about psychedelic history is based on what probably happened, not what we know happened. We can't reproduce history in a test tube the way, you know, a biologist can, you know, look at this beaker, look at this flask. Oh, you know, you mix this and this and, you know, a, a million times the same elements are going to come out of it. That's not how history works. We're, we're, you know, we're at a loss most of the time. So what I try to do uh, is determine and find where there's accurate, like, cause to call something psychedelic history in the past. One of the, um, one of the things I've noticed that people do is that anything bizarre that happened in the past will be attributed to either aliens or psychedelics. Nine times out of 10, it's neither. Or with aliens, 10 times out of 10, it's neither. But with <laughs> psychedelics, nine times. Now, it's not to say aliens don't exist and that they haven't visited Earth. It's just that I don't think they built the pyramids. That's all I mean by that. Um, I don't think they had any handle in human civilization. There are far better naturalistic evolutionary explanations for the things that people think, oh, my God, how could human beings do this? Well, you know, if you have enough time and enough slaves and you don't give a shit about their well-being, you can build a pyramid. Guaranteed mm -hmm. you could build a pyramid because if they don't work for you, you're just going to slaughter them. <laughs> so, um Sorry, I got off on a tangent there. No, no, I, I agree. I, I I talk about that about these this missing link in history and that Tartaria thing kind of hints at that. And you know, I I I like to speculate. It's fun. It's it's fun oh, to yeah. come up with things. But with history, history is how what do they say to the victor the spoils, right? 
the the, the victors write history sometimes. Sometimes not. So it's we it's interesting because while the victors might write their accounts, it's historians who actually write history. And yes. I'll give you just a I'll give you a, an example that just happened to me recently as I finish up my latest book. It's due in two weeks, uh, May, or not even anymore. May first, it's due. But um. In Timothy Leary's book, Flashbacks, he has a conversation that supposedly took place between him and Aldous Huxley. Now, anybody familiar with Huxley's work, which I am, knows that this conversation did not take place and that Leary completely made it up. So while the victor, in this case, Leary, did write that history, me, the historian, is saying, no, you're full of shit. Yeah. So... it's up to you for people like you historians to connect the dots and that's something i want to talk to you about later on about this these interpretations of certain events certain figures in history whether it be religious or not and yeah so i'm sorry (laughs) No, no no not at all uh but yeah so it's not always like they do write the accounts but you know, we we historians go through it and we look at other ancillary evidence and, you know, we could actually again, it's all probability, but we can, you know, more or less gauge what might like what probably happened again. I don't ever want to say that we know it happened because we don't. But, you know, like we can. Um, uh, what's the word? What, what am I trying to say here? We adjudicate what the sources that are left to us and we're actually the ones that write history and we're the ones that, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, call out. And I hate call out culture, but we'll, you know, just demonstrate why this person who was writing in history might not be leaving an accurate account, Um, especially something like with uh, something like the Civil War. You have one account from one person that says one thing, but then you have 10 accounts from some other people that all didn't know each other and were not conspiring. And they have very, you know, like, and theirs makes a little bit more sense. Well, now we know that that first guy was probably full of shit, you know? That's how you get conspiracy theories too. What's that? That's how you get conspiracy theories. You have the actual thing, then you have something that somebody says happened, you have the actual narrative, and then you have all these different other crazy theories of what might've happened or what could have happened. Well, sure. And one of the problems with conspiracy theories is that sometimes they're pretty accurate. I mean, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution that got us into Vietnam, that was a conspiracy, the, the, you know, theory, whatever, but was 100 percent true. Um, I actually uh, or what about Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah, he absolutely did not kill himself. I mean, <laughs> and you have to be an idiot if you think he did. That's a conspiracy theory. The The only other one I'd say I believe is that I do not think uh, Kurt Cobain killed himself. I haven't I haven't gone down that wormhole, but I could see he was part of Hollywood. He was in that scene. There's a lot of people who have died because they are ready to expose like Isaac Cappy when he supposedly killed himself because he was talking about this exposing this pedophilia ring in Hollywood and other people attached to that have also died, killed themselves as well. If you really look into it, it's, it it happens. I I can, I can see where it could be. Maybe he didn't kill himself. It's amazing how all of these people killed themselves with two bullets to the head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't think Kurt Cobain killed himself. Um, There's a great, I don't know if you ever saw, but there's, I'm not, I'm not big on, 
documentaries showing truth because most documentaries are not made by yeah. historians. They're made by filmmakers. But there is one that I would recommend to you and your, your listeners. It's called Soaked in Bleach. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it's on, uh, I think it's on YouTube. It's definitely on Netflix. Um, it's about how this, the private investigator who was looking into, you know, the Kurt Cobain situation okay, came to the conclusion that it was probably Courtney Love that had him killed. And the evidence that he has is remarkable. I mean, there's, I, I'm convinced that she had him murdered. Yeah, I think I've heard about that. I saw a friend of mine post that. Can I ask you, <laughs> have you seen Tiger King? <laughs> so um, I don't have Netflix anymore. I, I lost it several months ago. Um, my, my subscription ran out and I just never renewed it. I'm actually dying to see Tiger King because I'm sure if you're on Facebook, literally every single, it's either coronavirus or that everybody hates Joe Biden or Tiger King. Like yeah. that's that's my entire Facebook feed right now. I forgot to so, tell you before we started, we don't talk about coronavirus anymore on this show. I'm done giving it energy. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, I don't want to talk about it either. I'm just saying that that's what you know. My yeah, my, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there, my friend. We don't need like I don't even want to talk about. It. I'm just saying, no, unfortunately, I have not seen Tiger King. So if anybody out there wants to loan me their Netflix. Netflix password. I will not abuse it at all. <laughs> I just want to binge Tiger King while I'm stuck inside. Yeah, I, I would recommend you watch that because there's a little bit of a conspiracy theory there. So that's why I asked you about it because it's it's pretty wild. It's pretty yeah, wild. It's uh, what is the conspiracy? It's that Carol Baskin, and again, I only know this because of memes that she killed her husband. Is that what the, it is? Or are you referring to something else? That's one of them, and then how supposedly he's in jail, as you know. He uh, wait, who's he? Uh, the Tiger King, Joe Exotic. Oh, uh, I, I, he's in jail. He, <laughs> yeah. So there's another dude. That That's show a dude is, with the mullet, right? Yeah, that the show worst is haircut ever. That guy. That show's fucking wild, dude. I want to see it so bad. <laughs> that show's fucking wild. I don't want to ruin it for you, man. Just. Just uh, you're gonna have to check it out. I want to. Um, so Tom, Tom, back to the topic. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so we've already established that obviously you are a historian. You go based off of interpretations of things. So whatever you say, it, it might not be a hundred percent. It's you know a sure a, a lot more than I will ever know about something, but. What is it that you have researched and uh, talk about your work a little bit? Okay, yeah, sorry about that. We, we got on to all <laughs> sorry. Uh, so um, uh, the first book I ever wrote was actually a uh, a book about roller derby uh, because I was involved in roller derby for twelve years or so, um, and it's just about my experiences being a roller derby mascot in the roller derby underworld. Um, and um, so it has nothing to do with what you're asking. Sorry. Uh, the next book I wrote is called The Witch's Ointment, which was the first real in-depth study of medieval psychedelia. Um, I wanted to know what wise women were actually doing with, you know, different kinds of psychoactive plants. And um, let me say, I still don't know, but I have, you know, my ideas of what probably happened which was that these women were worshiping a female divinity using these entheogenic plants. 
And the Catholic Church condemned that as trips to visit Satan at this party, for lack of a better term, called the Sabbath. My uh, follow-up to that is called Psychedelic Mystery Traditions, and it's pretty much just about psychedelia in Western civilization. Uh, one of the, one of the um, I guess, the mistakes that people have today is that there wasn't psychedelia in the West. And oh, somebody's got a lawnmower scooter going, sorry. Um, that there wasn't psychedelia in the West. Oh, okay, good. Um, and, um, uh, you know, we focus when, if you go to a head shop or something like that, you'll see books about ayahuasca. You'll see books about um, First Nations people's use of different plant medicines and stuff. But you won't hear anything or see anything about how the ancient Greeks used psychedelics or even the ancient Egyptians, you know, uh, essentially the, the civilizations around the uh, ancient Mediterranean. So that's what my second book was about, is how, you know, people around the ancient Mediterranean used plant medicines. Uh, my third book was Microdosing Magic, a psychedelic spell book, which is just a, um, a kind of a beginner's guide to using psychedelics and magical techniques. It's written for a general audience. So anybody that, you know, has studied magic or studied witchcraft, you're not going to get anything out of it. Everything in that book you already know. Uh, it's for a general population of people that, you know, this is something new to them. And the book I'm working on now is tentatively titled Wonder Child. And it's about the LSD revolution during the 1950s. Uh, again, one of the things I try to do with my books is show the unpopular side of psychedelic history. Um, we, we think about LSD and our minds automatically go to the 1960s and the psychedelic 60s, the summer of love, Sergeant Pepper, Woodstock, all that stuff. And all that stuff is great. The thing is, the concepts of peace and love and mystical use of LSD, and stuff, all of that was actually invented during the 1950s. It's just that most people didn't have television yet, so it didn't you know, reach out to the broader culture. In the 1960s, everybody started to get televisions and all of a sudden, you know, you have LSD and, you know, uh, news reports and everything all over the place. So what I'm trying to do is show the back history of LSD with this new book. Um, so that's what I just try to do with my writing is show the, the stuff that a lot of people haven't really heard before. Um, like we all know about Timothy Leary, of course, but a lot of us don't know about Rosalind Haywood, who during the 1950s, actually, she was a, um, a parapsychologist and tried to use LSD for different kinds of psychic phenomena to like unlock all of our psychic potentials. And I think that she is such an interesting story and it's like, nobody's ever heard of her. So I wanted to kind of showcase all those stories from, uh, psychedelic history that we're not as familiar with that's what i try to do anyway yeah esoteric esoteric knowledge focusing on the things that people would have never it's like the argument with nikola tesla and thomas edison everybody knows about thomas edison not so much nikola tesla exactly but then there's conspiracies you know revolving around that what got you started researching these sorts of topics and how do you embark on a journey like this? What is what is that entitled? Obviously, I know. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you translate. Is it uh, Latin? You translate. Latin is my main research language, but I can translate Spanish and Italian as well. Okay. So, 
what got you started on these topics and obviously how do you even start something like this because sometimes when i'm researching something i don't even know where to begin i don't know where to look sometimes and it can be very difficult to even start on crazy you know different topics like this sure well a really good start would be to suck at the stem fields which i do what does that mean uh science <laughs> technology um i don't know what the engineering and math i okay. suck at all of those areas of you know uh, knowledge so i write history in fact you know, it was scratch the surface of any um, person in the humanities. And what you're going to find is a lousy math student. So <laughs> that's that's really what got me started is. Um, and uh, I enjoy the detective work uh, of the whole thing. And that's another thing you you like anything else on the in the world. You have to love what you're doing or you're not going to be able to do it because it's going to be infuriating throughout the process like even this book i'm writing now look i love writing psychedelic history and trying to finish wonder child has been one of the most overwhelming and infuriating uh exercises of my life same with writing the witch's arm it was just like it's infuriating to write history um so you have to love it for, first and foremost so i was 18 years old when i had my first um mushroom experience and i think like a lot of people that come back from that first psychedelic experience, whether it's mushrooms or LSD or anything, you're just like, holy shit, I want to know everything about what the fuck just happened. Like, what was that? And how could I get as close to it as possible? Now, you know, uh, some people that are way smarter than me will get into astrophysics and cosmology and philosophy and things like that. I'm pretty stupid. So I settled on history because I could actually do that. And again, I enjoy, I love the detective work. Like I love when somebody shows me and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but when sh somebody shows me a picture that they believe to be a mushroom in Christian art, I love, I absolutely love completely eviscerating it. I love doing it. Uh, I love just leaving ignorance with nothing to say at yeah. all. Like, that's what I love about it. Um, as far as how you start, one of the problems we have today is that people think that Google is the finishing point. What I mean by that is, and I'm, I love Google. Google is fantastic. I'm not shitting on Google, but it's just the starting point. Yeah. Most people, when they Google something, whatever the first thing to come up is that agrees with them you know, their confirmation bias, it kicks right in. Me, I always, anytime I Google something, I Google the opposite of what I want to be true. A hundred percent of the time. Always look at the things that you, that completely cut against what you want to believe. Uh, in fact, when I was, uh, I was a uh, college professor a few years ago, but I ended up hating it. I'd worked so hard my whole life to become one. And I got there, I'm like, yo, this is the shittiest job ever. But oh. anyway, always, 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 every semester, my first assignment for my students was just write me a page, two pages, maybe three if you're passionate, I don't care, whatever. Something that you believe to be true. I don't care what it is, something in history, something spiritual, something political, doesn't, I don't care. Whatever it is, just write me an essay on something you hold in your heart to be true. 
The second assignment was now go prove it wrong. Wow. Yeah, that can, and it, that can fall in line with a lot of things. I talk about the indoctrination and we'll talk about this. You talked about the mushroom and Christianity that some people believe that Jesus was a mushroom and it's a psychedelic cult and that triggers a lot of people. But it's something that I feel that if you don't dive into, like how you're saying, what you believe is a now what you B is what just contradicts what you're believing. How can you truly know for sure for yourself if you only see it from one point of view, only from side A, right? Exactly. And that's exactly. that's where the I've had conversations with people with with the Gnostics. You know, obviously Yaltabaoth, which is this archetype for Satan, created the material world. Mm -hmm. And it's like you tell somebody that who's hard. And, and I was raised Christian Pentecostal. And I was I played, raised Greek Orthodox, so I yeah. Did. And I, I I played a guitar for my church for many years, and I went for a lot, for a long time since I was a little kid. I was raised in it, and just speaking of this heresy, just even till today, it feels wrong. It feels wrong, right? Because it's so many years of indoctrination. Yes, and it's when you think outside the box. And I've had people with PhDs in church history and theology on my show, and we've broken down. Uh, non-canonical scripture and canonical scriptures and, and things of that nature. And it's like, why does it feel this way to think outside the box? Why are you shamed when you come and think outside the box and you try and, and talk to somebody about it and they make you feel a certain way? It's like, you ask, I'm just a messenger. How, how you, you do your research, you're a historian. I'm just a messenger, dude. I'm just telling you what they believe. Doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that I believe it. Uh, I have a quote by Aristotle which I always, I always come to, it says, because I'm open to all ideas, Aristotle says, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. And I believe that's, that's very powerful because why do people just assume that you believe something as soon as you talk about it? And in my podcast, I talk about all types of things. I, I know you don't like Flat Earth. I did a freaking episode with Mark Sargent <laughs> on Flat Earth. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> That's so, awesome, though. Like, seriously. Yeah, uh, but that's good, though. I Look, I I don't, I'm not, uh, like, yeah, talk to Mark Sargent. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't care. I, I want to hear his side of, of the story. I, I, I don't, I yeah. believe that we're in, on a globe. He has his stories and his things where he believes otherwise. And that's fine. And I respect that, right? I, I'll respect I don't think that. he believes it. I don't think he believes it. I think, I honestly, I think that he sees a way to get himself fame. And because every time he's been interviewed by somebody that really presses him about it, he does all these like, oh, 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 oh you know, like all these little kind of, you know, his body language like gives him away all the time. My yeah. only problem with him is that I don't truly believe that he believes the world is flat. If he truly believed the world is flat, he wouldn't piss me off at all. I'd be like, okay, you're just an idiot. Like, yeah. who cares? You know, you're just yeah. another idiot of many. But he, I think that he's a liar and a deceiver. That's my problem with him. Yeah. But well, that's just me. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, I think he's a super cool guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't talk think to he's him. A I, again, I think that he... He saw he found a way yeah. to to get himself some fame and some money. And so he's sticking with it. Um, there was uh, usually people when they get into that, Tom, 
sometimes I'm saying that's the case with him. It might be, who knows? Uh, sometimes it gets away from them and they just have to ride that wave until, yeah. until yeah. You see, that happens all the time. People yeah. start getting into some, just kidding. Haha, and then it's like, it blows up. It goes viral or something. They're just like, uh, what do yeah. I do now? It's like, well, you yeah. gotta stick it out, dude. <laughs> well, but see, that's the thing is I don't think you should stick it out in that sense. Like, because you're, you're, that's being deceptive. Like, so with the Holy, I'll, I'll give you, here's a perfect example. So Jerry Brown and Julie Brown wrote the psychedelic gospels about the mushroom and Christian art. Now at the time that they wrote the book, I truly believe that they believed there were mushrooms in Christian art. I know that they do not believe that anymore. And yet they got a book to sell. So they push it anyway. And that's, that to me is, I don't like that. Like if somebody were to demonstrate to me tomorrow that I was wrong in my conclusions in the witch's ointment that I wrote, I'd change my mind. Just like that. I'd be like, oh, fuck, I was wrong. Respectfully. Yeah, just I was wrong. Respectfully. And admit you're wrong, but some people have a problem with that. Well, it's and, an ego thing. They haven't yeah, taken hey, enough mushrooms. Exactly, exactly. They, they need an ego death. <laughs> so, yeah. What is your experience with entheogens and in specific mushrooms? I know you talk about microdosing. You use it in conjunction with magic. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because when people say magic, it's almost like, uh, uh, you know, from a Christian standpoint, sure. demonic, satanic. And then you, you did your witch's ointment thing where I, I was, I'm curious to, if you can talk a little bit about that as well, of what, this entity that they were in contact with because it always seems maybe, and again, this is just thinking outside the box. Maybe these entities are the aliens that we talk about that I, I feel. And from my personal experience, cause I, I told you before, I feel that these substances and I have a picture of Alex gray net of being on my wall. And I feel that when you take these substances, they put you, my friend calls it tripping interdimensionally. And, like and that. It, it, it does put you in. A, and, and when I was in that state, when I was in that place, it feels like this knowledge of of these. I, I have very high respect and I kind of sort of messed up doing it my first time. I kind of wanted to. I only did 2.3 grams. And my buddy told me, I'll just start low. And, and he works at a psilocybin retreat in Jamaica. So he's got experience with it. Sure. He said, at first he had told me three and a half. Then I talked to another friend of mine. He's like, no, dude, don't do three and a half. Three and a half is a fucking ride. Do two, two and a half. I was like, great. I'll do two and a half. So I did 2.3. And I was tripping my, my ass off. I was tripping balls. And it was very overwhelming I, I don't consider it a bad trip because I learned a lot about myself from it. Of course. But it was a bad trip. It was, I feel like it was very horrible. And, but I got so, my friend tells me that the most difficult trips are the most beneficial ones. And you're probably yes. not going to figure it out a week or two weeks or three weeks. It might, might, might make sense to you months or years down the road. But I did it and it did show me a lot and I learned a lot. But I feel like when I was in that realm, they knew that I only wanted to get, a, you know, my toes wet a little bit. And they're like, no, 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 no. Now you're here with us. So let's show you what this is about, right? You wanted to, what your curiosity, right? Curiosity killed the can. It's like they took me and they just, 
just shit all over me and and it just really it was a roller coaster of a ride and it was very very intense to say the least for my very first time doing it <laughs> sure um i i agree with your friend actually that um quote unquote bad trips are actually very beneficial i I've, I've never had a bad trip um and i do you know upwards of 5 plus grams of mushrooms when i sit and i've never had a bad trip so i don't like i know they exist but i don't know what that's like uh in fact i had um this was maybe a couple months ago um i ate ooh, i think it was only an eighth i think it was three and a half grams it wasn't too, you know i think it, that's all it was and um gaia um who i i tend to visit often in my uh my psychedelic state was actually having me put on different masks of bad trips just so that I could see how silly the whole thing was. I mean, she was giving me a mask that when I put it on, I could see all of human devastation. She gave me another, another mask, and it's like, I could see every woman that's ever been raped. She gave me another mask, and it's like every person that's died for a senseless fucking war. And it actually did not, now for most people to see that, they would have a bad trip, but I actually... You know, as much as I felt pity for those situations, people dying in war, women getting raped, of course, of course, it didn't actually throw my trip off because I knew that, or at least I felt like I was with this entity that was going to take care of whatever the situation was. And of course, I, look, I, I, at the end of the day, I, I don't know if those entities are real. I can't, again, I'm not that creative. I don't, I've never... Like I couldn't invent these things. I yeah. wish I could. I would be a, a million, you know, dollar selling novelist if I could invent these. That's things. why I believe it's real, Tom. Yeah, That's why too. I believe it's it's call it whatever you want to call it. I don't believe that this source should be named and should have this image associated with it. I believe that the source is the universe, right? That it's yes. just a collective consciousness of 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 this of everything together and that's why you get the gut feeling of like, "Oh, I had a feeling." Well, that's the universe talking to you. Maybe if that is God, maybe it's I believe that a lot of people need guidance in life and if it helps you become a better person, if following the Bible helps you become a better person, then so be it, right? As long as you don't hurt children, which is the, the main thing. Uh, mm -hmm. because again, that's uh, your piece of shit if you do, but as long as it helps you become a better person and guides you in life, then, then, then more power to you. Yeah. Like I don't have anything against Christianity. I know that like for a lot of, you know, my fellow witches and magicians are like, Oh, Chris, I'm like, why? But you know, you're like, yes, of course there are some horrible things that the church has done. And I mean, yes. horrible things, of course, but most people that are Christians are really good people like yeah. they're not out there doing horrible things at all like practicing christians i mean uh same thing with mormons i mean i think that they're the religion of mormonism is it's kind of ridiculous i mean they're, they're all pretty <laughs> ridiculous including my own i should say but i have a lot of friends that are mormon or eczema they're not anymore because i i go on tour a lot and i stop over in salt lake city and utah and everything they are the nicest most genuine, giving, and kind people I have ever encountered, bar none. So yeah. whatever their religion is doing, that, you know, put a, putting aside, you know, um, the gold tablets, you know, and the angel Morona, 
Put all that aside, their religion produces wonderful people, wonderful people. So, I, you know, if you care about society and communities and civilizations, then Mormonism is really not that bad. It's actually a pretty good blueprint for producing decent people. And I'm saying that as somebody who's not a Mormon, who has no more, you know, doesn't believe it, but all my friends that are raised Mormon and, were, and are now ex-Mormons, they're still wonderful. They're yeah. so, and it's the one thing they all have in common is that they're all genuine, they're nice, they're compassionate, and they're charitable. It's, it's, it's amazing what that religion has done for people. And I'm saying that as, you know, somebody who doesn't believe a word. Yeah, well, it, it the ones that take it to extremes are the ones that give the others bad name, bad oh, reps. Well, yeah, that's all extremism. And, and I agree with you totally, Juan. It, it's, that's, it, I, I was, uh, one of the things actually my mom would always warn us, my two brothers and myself against, was extremism in any way, shape, or form, and she's Greek Orthodox, she raised me Greek Orthodox, but she also warned me against extremist Christians, you know, yes. at the same time, and it's just like, no, extremism in any capacity, extremism in psychedelia is not good either, like, just, you know, there has to, life is about balance, so if you're it's an extremist in any capacity, you're, you're, you're missing a big, big piece of the picture of what it is to be a human. Yes. Yeah, so when you talk about Mike, when you talk about magic, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I don't, me, I'm, 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 I personally believe in evil. I believe in in demons and all this stuff. And I, I don't, I don't fuck with occult things. I feel like magic. I don't know in what sense it it deals with sort of these things. And I feel we have this filter, and we if, if once you start messing with that, that's why I don't fuck with any of it to be quite honest with you so sure. what is magic to you and obviously you use mushrooms in specific for these yeah. rituals i don't know what you want to call them rituals yeah. or spells oh, they're rituals um so when i say magic what i mean is mind hacking that's what i'm talking about is that you're you're learning magic is, and witchcraft for that matter and as i've said the only difference between a magician and a witch is that magicians tend to wear shoes more often <laughs> uh, but that's more of a like there's I mean, there's other philosophical differences, but that's the main difference. Um, we uh, we witches tend to be more hippies uh, than anything else. Um, but um, yeah, it's just mind hacking. Like, I don't I don't invoke demons or anything like that. And um, I do believe in and, I'm, I, you know, I agree with you Juan. I believe that evil exists as a force in the universe. I think it does. Maybe it doesn't, but I think it absolutely does. I believe that we live in that kind of dualistic universe where, the, look, there's that that constant um, pull between good and evil is exactly what creates everything around us in the same sense that it's, you know, you see a, um, a, a pride of lions attacking an antelope. Well, we might look at that as evil, but that is actually creating community bond between that pride. It's a circle of life. I was it's talking about that. <laughs> I think it was yesterday where I was, I was watching Lion King with my son and the Simba was like, Dad, don't we eat those? And he's like, that's just a circle of life. It's like, why are they? Why, they're our friends. You're going to save them. But we eat them. He's like, it's a circle of life. And I talk about that because animals, man 
N- animals have territory. Man never lost anything. Animals have lost territory because of man. So what we do is selfish and we take we're, we're taking things that weren't ours to begin with. It was nature's. It was these animals. And that's why they act the way they act, because they have territory. Man doesn't have anything. And we create whatever it is that we want and we take things that we want. Right. That's why I told you earlier, Simulacra is giving this value to things that don't mean anything except what we make of them. That's why I feel that the whole religion thing, it's like this image of X person. It doesn't mean anything. It's a hollow symbol Uh, behind the symbol. Doesn't there's no power behind the symbol. It's what we make it to be. And in essence, it turns into that. Right. Because of the power we give to it over ourselves and we start sure. believing in that sure but it's also uh, I, I and i agree with you and you could actually apply the same meaning to letters yes take letter take the letter q that doesn't mean anything at all until we give it a form of value i think it was and again and this isn't the tartaria stuff it was going into the origins of the alphabet how the first alphabet was only 17 letters or something like that. And then we added some other, I believe it was Latin. And I don't know if you've ever come across anything like that. Well, yeah, because we didn't. So uh, as just one example of what you, you are hundred percent correct. Um, The letter W is not, that is, that is a modern letter that does not exist in Latin at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we definitely added that. It comes to show these things that are added throughout history and mm-hmm. again we make it to be that so again back to the magic uh you, you said it was more of hacking of the mind and not actually invoking different spirits so it's more of would you call it something for self-improvement is that what you use it for to mm-hmm. be able to i i think I, I was listening to a podcast you were on you use it to like finish your books yep and and again, it, I, I guess I could see where you, why you use it and, and how you use it, how I said about the Bible helping people advance and, and become a better person. Maybe that's how you use the same thing. Whatever, what, so if, if let's say we, we relate this to mushrooms, maybe what helps me on my trip might not help you, but what helps you on your trip might not help me. So okay. it's finding that system, like you said, something that you enjoy at the end of the day, which is which is powerful. Let's, let's uh, move on to the next question here. Well, just can uh, I say something real quick on that? Yeah, go ahead. But yeah, you, you are correct because what one of the things that aids in magic is symbols. And there are certain symbols, like, like if you see my altar back here. Yeah. Um, this is just filled with symbols right here that mean nothing to anybody else. But damn, do they mean a lot to me. And yeah. holy shit, do they enable me to tap into parts of my mind, to pull from just the recesses of my subconscious ideas that I want to manifest in this world. Yes, I just I, wanted to get that out. Yeah, no, I'm a firm believer in the law of attraction. And again, that's why I, I hint towards the simulation theory. <laughs> um, so can I found it very interesting. You came up with these five different terms that you dubbed to explain the use of certain substances. So we're going to start working our way into the religion aspect of things. Can you explain your different, your five different terms for the entheogens? That way, when we start talking about them, you can 
talk to talk about them in that context. Uh, there's five. You have Exdeogen, Sam Theogen, and Genic. And correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Pithiogenic is that how you say it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Poetogen and uh, Mystiogen. Can you talk yep. a little bit about those? I found that very interesting. Sure. So when um, I was writing my book, Psychedelic Mystery, my second book in, in psychedelic history, I came across a bunch of accounts that did not sound entheogenic. Entheogenic, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this, but for the few that probably that might not, um, entheogen means generating divinity from within. Uh, it's based on an early Greek word, uh, enthusiasmos, which just means religious ecstasy. Now, the thing is, when you look at some of these ancient sources, um, sometimes you find somebody using a, you know, a spirit plant or a plant medicine or whatever you want to call it, but they're not actually generating divinity within themselves. They're generating a kind of mystical state of awareness that doesn't have anything to do with bringing the godly into the self. So, for example, the first one you said was extheogenic. So if entheogen means generating divinity within, extheogen means generating divinity from without. Because when you, again, you read some of these sources and um, you have people that are be talking to these different entities, right? Just like we do on mushrooms or ayahuasca or anything. Well, we're not generating that divinity inside ourselves if you believe those entities are real. If you don't believe they're real, then that's entheogenic. If you do believe that they're real, that's extheogenic. Like your friend, the interdimensional, uh, what do you call that? Uh, interdimensional tripping (laughs) yes interdimensional tripping and the entities you meet would qualify at least by my understanding something extheogenic now uh the next one i believe you said was somnotheogenic you said somniogenic it's weird because that word when i first wrote it i said somniogenic as well because that means generating divinity uh, excuse me generating divinity in sleep Mm. And I changed it. It's a it's a minor nuance in the Latin language to somnotheogenic, which means generating divinities in dreams. So as one example, the um, the wise women that I write about in the witch's ointment, they would take these psychoactive plants to knock themselves into a lucid dream state. Now, if you were to ask him, it's Mandrake, wise, right? Sorry. To Mandrake. Yes. Yeah. Mandrake was definitely one of them. That's a real, I, I use Mandrake myself for similar purposes. Um, don't do that kids. It is highly poisonous and you can kill yourself. <laughs> do not use Mandrake. Don't um, use Mandrake. <laughs> yeah. I, I stick to the safe, illegal stuff like mushrooms and ayahuasca because <laughs> yeah. Mandrake's totally legal, but you can kill yourself. Um, anyway. Um, so these, if you were to ask a medieval wise woman, are you having an entheogenic experience? In my opinion, she would say no, because I'm not like that entity is real. That goddess that I'm talking to is a real entity that I'm meeting in the dream realm. So that for me is somnotheogenic. Uh, the next one you said was pythogen. Yes. Pythogen is using uh, mad, uh, using psychedelics for magical purposes. And this could be anything from simply putting a hex on somebody. Um, in the early 1400s, there was a wise woman living in Todi, Italy, na- excuse me, uh, named Matuccia de Francesca La Striga de Casarepe Bianca. And one of her most popular spells 
was to sell some kind of psychoactive. We don't know what it was, but we know it was psychoactive. She would sell a psychoactive to abused housewives. And what these wives would do is they would slip this plant, you know, substance, whatever it was, into their husband's dinner, wait about 45 minutes or an hour just as it starts to kick in in their husband, you know, the plant medicine. And then they would say an incantation over him. So while this husband was cowering in the corner, like experiencing vertigo and, you know, sweating, maybe vomiting and, you know, seeing, having hallucinations of demons and whatnot, he would think that his wife was doing this because of the incantation and that anytime she said this incantation, he would have these experiences. And that caused many an abusive asshole to behave himself later in life. He wouldn't abuse her anymore. That's pythogenic magic. That's that's really wild. And that this is why all this fascinates me, because what you're saying there, these incantations, I have a buddy of mine who's done ayahuasca numerous times, and he says when these shamans, he calls them Icaros, where they sing yeah. these different yeah. things. Obviously, there's a purging Icaros, there's an Icaros for, for, for driving away bad spirits, and it's crazy because when you're in that realm... And he says that when the shaman starts doing this purging Icaros, there's a, a bunch of people all vomiting all at the same time. And it's like, what are the chances that everybody's going to start vomiting and purging all at the same time? It's because this shaman, they each have their own different Icaros, which was very fascinating. Yeah, and exactly. And that's one of those things that like, I'm glad you said that because that's one of those things that it's like, yeah, there's no way they made, they, nobody made that up. Like there's yeah. nobody like- The plants showed it to a, them. What's the that? Plant, the plants showed it to them. Yes. Uh, he, he says that the shamans, they will do these rituals or ceremonies where they go in and they just, I don't know what they do, but every, because he asked them, he asked one of his shaman friends, he said, why do each people have, why do they all sound different? He goes, because the plants taught them that particular day, that song in their own way. And that's why I say that these sacred plants are just collective knowledge and i feel like they show us just the knowledge from the beginning of the whatever this is because they talk about talking about mushrooms fun uh fungi spores they say they can survive in space maybe we are a failed plant experiment and they use us to spread their seed who knows right like okay. that's that could be a a thing that's it's, it's totally it's very, possible very wild it's to yeah it's totally again I, I don't think aliens built the pyramids but I don't, I, it, it's foolish to think that we are the only conscious life on, in the entire universe. That's, well, that's the Fermi's paradox. And on, on this Tuesday, this upcoming week, I'm doing a show with uh, Dr. Michael P. Masters, where he's an anthropology, he, he, he does, he's got a PhD in evolution and anthropology and all these different crazy, just a guy who's way more versed than I am. And he has, he wrote a book that we are aliens just time traveling back from another time to study ourselves, just how an archaeologist would study bones. And again, that's why I say maybe, who, who knows, right? And at this moment, I'm open to everything because I know nothing. Right? Yeah. yeah. But I'm I make the these way. decisions for myself. And again, it's just oh, keep your mind open enough, but not so open that your brain falls out. <laughs> yeah. Are you a, you're a Michael Shermer fan? I've never, I've never looked into his work. Oh, that—that's his line. Is to oh, uh, well, I got keep that an open from, mind. But, what's that? I got I got that from Michael P. Masters from his book. 
I don't know if he was quoting him or not. He was probably that's Michael Shermer's line. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. probably. But anyway, whatever. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, next, oh, okay, sorry. Sure. Um, Poetogen is the next one. Yes, Poetogen. So, um, most people, everybody I know, but I don't want to say everybody because who knows? That could be you know somebody out there that disagrees. But most people would agree that psychedelics ignite the creative imagination. And yet, what is the word for that? This is something that we all take for granted, and there was no word for it. So I came up with poetogen, which is generate using psychedelics to generate the creative spirit. Yes, yes. And to touch back on the insom- was it insomniogen, is that what you call it? Somnogen? Somn- somnotheogen. I know, it's a pain in the Yeah. Where you talked about how people use that to invoke divinity gnosis which is i, I believe is another latin word right uh gnosis the, is a greek word greek the, the the gnostics and gnosis you know the the, the yeah, yeah. knowledge used to to achieve self-divinity and i want to talk to you about this as well where in christianity they they, they were open to using t- such things as cannabis and one thing that i found very interesting was that uh they talk about King Solomon, obviously, how God visited him in his dreams is because he was using some form of cannabis that supposedly they found in a tomb that was supposed to be his, and they found traces of cannabis, and maybe he wasn't actually talking to God, and he was having this experience because of these psychoactive substances, plants. Or both. Or he was talking to God because he was using psychoactive, which is what would be my interpretation. <laughs> yeah, or both. <laughs> yeah. Like the burning bush. You yes, know? the acacia. The Supposedly it was acacia, which has high in yes. DMT. And I, that's another thing I've been kind of uh, wanting to go into. The the When he tells him, you know, if, if they ask you who's saying, you just say I am that I am or something. I think that, that that's what he was saying. And it's like, what does that mean? Is it that we are the gods or you know what I mean? Like how you're mm-hmm. talking about creating this divinity on the outside, which is very interesting. Uh, the last one, mystiogen. So mystiogen just means um, generating epiphany. So um, it, it, in the ancient world, in different mystery religions, uh, like the rites of Eleusis is just a f- very famous example, they would use, I believe, and you know, the jury's still out on this, but I believe that they were using opium to generate these visions of Persephone rising from the dead uh, at the rites of Eleusis. So a mystheogen is just the use of a psychedelic to generate epiphany. Like when you're, you know, when, when you're on two grams of mushrooms or 10 grams of mushrooms or a tab of acid or whatever, all of a sudden, everything just makes sense all of a sudden you're making these connections from this that and you're just seeing the web and how everything is actually interconnected that's a mystheogenic experience yes it's just like string theory or like the stoics that believed in this web of cause and effect yes and and the logos right the logos to the stoics was a a a cause of of nature, the universe doing its thing, logos to the Christians is this personal thing that they consider God, this personal uh, relationship with it versus the Stoics, which was a, a distant thing that they couldn't control. They just did good 
and did right by everybody. And as long as you did good, then you, you were all right. <laughs> That's yes. why it just blows my mind. Yeah. So what has your research led you to believe in regard to the origins of religions? It, and again, because I talk about a lot of ancient civilizations and different cultures where a lot of these cultures regarded these substances as sacred. You talked mm -hmm. about the Egyptians earlier. They used the blue, the lotus, the I believe it was the blue lotus to lotus make teas. And opium and mushrooms and, and cannabis. Yes. And mandrake. Uh, so they they regarded these states of higher consciousness as sacred. Obviously, they had their own shamans and, and only certain people would be able to go into those certain states. What has your research led you to believe? Do you believe that, again, we've talked about this metaphysical is it things that we've come up with ourselves in our minds because the brain is a crazy thing? And I, you know, what, what, what are you, what has your research led you to believe uh, that the origins of this are? Sure. So I go over this in my book, Psychedelic Mystery Traditions, um, uh, in, um, I believe it's the third chapter. Uh, I don't remember which, I'd see the second or third chapter, but I'm, I'm kind of a psychedelic heretic in that I don't believe that psychedelics kicked off the religious impulse. I believe that the religious impulse evolved e e eons before we were eating mushrooms and, you know, smoking cannabis and drinking opium and doing all that stuff. Um, uh, and I believe that because there, there are religious experiences that happen today in people that, you know, have never so much as taken a sip of alcohol. So there has to be something intrinsic to the human condition um, or maybe not even intrinsic, but certainly evolved over time. And I give in my book, I give, uh, you know, my my ideas about how that might have happened. Um, I think that, you know, it, it's it's so difficult because. I don't think psychedelics or entheogenic plants kicked off the religious impulse, but I do believe that entheogenic plants confirmed the religious impulse, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. We again, what we talked that, that they put you in these different realms, maybe it was something that was always there. We just yes. weren't able to tap into it until we started <laughs> diving into these realms. And it's like, what... And that's another thing. We're not supposed to be there, right? I, I feel that our no. minds aren't supposed to be there. And I, that's why it's so hard for us to grasp what's happening when you have that's your. I think that's your Christian upbringing. I believe we are supposed <laughs> to be. No, I, you think so? I, well, I, I think it's one of those, like you were saying before, those holdovers where we kind of, like, we no longer, like, I no longer go to church. I haven't gone to church in years. And yet eh, every now and then I'll feel a little guilty about jerking off on a Sunday, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? So I see it more that way, I guess. Um, I, I think that the religious impulse was always there uh, or not maybe always there. Uh, but I, I believe that Neanderthals, actually, they, they've uh, uncovered in caves like burial, you know, like, like evidence of what, would, what we would call a burial or funeral ceremony. Well, that's that's religion right there. And yeah, yeah, you know, it, that's very interesting. I never I've never heard of that because Neanderthals are looked at as like these primitive 
apes pretty much these these brutes they and yet, they do you warrant. do you subscribe to terence mckenna's they call it a theory but it's a hypothesis the stoned yeah. ape theory thank you for saying for differentiating between the stoned ape hypothesis yeah. thank you for that um no i don't i don't uh, subscribe to it at all and now let me say that if you were to fast forward like two or three centuries i believe that you could see the stoned ape hypothesis in what's known as the mesolithic age so we don't really talk about the mesolithic age like we everybody knows about the paleolithic age Everybody knows about the Neolithic age. Nobody ever talks about the Mesolithic age, which is right between the Paleolithic and the Neolithic. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can see the influence of psychedelic plants on culture in the Mesolithic age. Like, for example, the Tassili Caves in eastern Algeria, which show the the famous, um, you know, it's called the bee shaman. The mushroom Uh, shaman, the little mushrooms all over him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I, I go over this again in psychedelic mystery traditions. The thing that's interesting about that image that I don't think has gotten enough um, press or attention that is, is really significant is that the, um, the, the art of the Tassili Caves actually went through five different um, periods of evolutionary artistic development. Uh, the first stage was the bubilus stage. The second stage was the roundhead stage. Uh, the third was the pastoral. The fourth was the equine. And the fifth was the camelite. Now, the, let's go back to the roundhead period, because that's where the bee shaman, for lack of a better term, pops up. That's the Mesolithic age. And if you look at from the bubilus stage, which was the first stage, and then the um, pastoral and... Uh, um, equine and cameline stage with the the round head in between the two kind of sandwiched in between the two all of a sudden the art becomes incredibly more developed and incredibly more aesthetic and there's just so (laughs) much more to it and it's like well wait a minute here we have no mushrooms and it's just etchings on a cave wall then we have mushrooms and now we have these really abstract paintings. Yeah. And when you look at it in the full context, I think that a really good case can be made for mushrooms. And that's it's not just to silly. There's also um, a Bego Mount in southern France that clearly shows an Amanita muscaria carved right into the cave wall. There's also in, um, I believe, and don't quote me on this because I'm, I'm, I don't remember where, but I believe it's southeast in spain you have other mushroom cave images and right after this you start to see these little statues of what's called the poppy goddess and she was found all over the mediterranean it's like well wait a minute we went from scrawling on these walls to creating these statues of opium and (laughs) when i say scrolling on walls we went from scrolling mushroom images on walls to agriculture to advanced art, to civilization, to building buildings? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. So I believe, in answer to your question, if you take McKenna's stoned ape hypothesis and get it out of biological evolution, because there's just there are far better explanations. There's a great book called Sapiens. I highly recommend to your listeners. I, I forget the author's name, but uh, this book explains way better how humans evolved than the stoned ape hypothesis. But 
if you bring the stone Ape hypothesis out of the Paleolithic age, which is where McKenna had it, and into the Mesolithic age, you have a solid case. Oh, it makes sense. Now, yeah, thank you for explaining that, because I would have never thought of it from that point, from that aspect, because, again, I'm not, I'm not a historian, and I'm not well-versed in this, and this is why I bring people on like you to clear things up and clear the air for me, but I can't imagine... You talk about these cave paintings, how they get more sophisticated and, and more beautiful over time. Mm-hmm. You can see it. Let's fast forward. You can see it in architecture uh, around the world where you see certain architecture that looks almost sort of like a DMT breakthrough where the, there's just fractals and just craziness and beautiful, beautiful work. Beautiful Especially work. Islamic architecture. A Islamic, it's, yes. There's some, especially some Islamic architecture. Very beautiful work. And it's like, wow, that looks crazy well it kind of sort of looks like the net of being <laughs> yes yeah, exactly exactly so they were you know they were you know getting high off the acacia bush too and yeah. there you go and they were just seeing the fractals everywhere man <laughs> so in christianity we talked about the king king solomon perhaps using cannabis and maybe the god was a god to him and he was uh, uh creating these scenarios that you said that you've talked about the use of cannabis or forms of it. Can you speak on that? And then obviously a little bit about the uses of entheogens in Christianity. If they did not use mushrooms, how some people think, which I was, I think it's John Marco Allegro, the book, The Holy Mushroom on the Cross. I, I, the Sacred Mushroom. I'm in the middle of that book. I haven't finished it. I'll be honest. And again, I'm not buying everything. They say Santa Claus, Amanita Mascara, you have Hamilton Morris, people like him who who talk about it and his show, Pharmacopia. Again, it's a lot of different things. I, I, I People tell me, oh, you're really smart. I go, no, no, no. I just remember things and I connect yeah. dots when I can. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not coming up with any of this. I, it's just information that I'm just regurgitating back to people and, and I, I just happen to remember it. I like your analogy that you use because you said it was people say oh well they hid it they hid it in this sacred art and they they hid the the you know the halo it might have been the spores of a mushroom and all this stuff and it's like it, it i like the analogy you use about fast food about how how is it that we're so open about it the open use of cannabis and i don't know which other ones which you can go into but then we would hide Taco Bell, but we have Burger yeah. King, McDonald's, and it's like, oh, but did you hear about Taco Bell? And it's like, what? Oh, no, they covered up Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It up. You see, <laughs> see, you, you have to understand, Juan, in the 21st century, everybody ate fast food. They ate McDonald's, and they ate Wendy's, and they ate Burger King, and they ate In-N-Out Burger, and they ate Sonic, but oh, nobody talked about Taco Bell. <laughs> it, it is the stupidest idiotic idea in all of psychedelia that christians were hiding mushrooms in their art it's just dumb and people need to stop saying it because it makes us all look ridiculous what was it tom because to me it looks like a mushroom what could it have been they're true so it's funny you should say that so uh, a colleague and a very good friend of mine rob dickens who was the editor-in-chief at psychedelic press uk once made a very witty remark about that. He said, yeah, look at all those mushrooms. Isn't it odd that they never drew trees? If all those are mushrooms, where are the trees? What it, what it comes down to is that people, when they look at Christian art today, 
don't actually know what they're looking at. They have no idea what they're looking at. Because That's with have... everything in life. <laughs> That's with everything in life. Well, unless you study it. Yes. And for people, I mean, for, for art historians, the mushroom and Christian art is a joke. I mean, I mean, you know, we, we drink beer and we laugh at it. That that's because that's all it's worth. It's just it's a very they actually in my so let's say this. Picture a tree in your head. Right mm-hmm. now. Outline that tree. Just draw mentally make an outline of that tree. Kind of looks like a mushroom, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. The because shape, like, yeah, like a because, nuclear bomb cloud looks like a mushroom. It's like exactly. You know. So obviously, obviously, um, Christians painted mushrooms in their art, anticipating nuclear war that would bring on the apocalypse. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, because that mushroom clouds. I mean, it looks just like a mushroom. So obviously, yeah. that's what's going on, right? But these are the <laughs> kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it dumbass ideas a person has to have in their head in order to think they're mushrooms or christian art um it's it's absolutely ridiculous christians wrote openly about cannabis they wrote openly about mantra there there's a in um a a christian source i believe it's from 1160 or thereabouts of the common era that is literally this entire christian mystery symbolic rite using mantra so why would they do that with Mandrake? And is there, not is there correct me if I'm wrong, is there talks about it as well in the book of Genesis? The use of Mandrake? Or did I hear that oh, wrong? Yes, yeah, the song the uh the Song of Songs, absolutely. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also uh Leia's Mandrake. I, I believe that's what you're thinking about. Excuse me, Leia's Mandrake. Of course. Yeah. They were literally in, in the old testament, they they don't just talk about Mandrake, they talk about Mandrake in a sex magic context. In the Bible. In the Bible. <laughs> The Song of Songs, they talk about Mandrake in a sex magic con- You have two areas of the Torah that talk about Mandrake's use in sex magic. Wow. But they covered up a mushroom? It doesn't make, it's just, again, it's it like wasn't the best- illegal. It, uh, also, it wasn't illegal. Thing. Yeah, none of this stuff was illegal. The idea that you would cover up a mushroom in the ancient world is as silly as saying that we would cover up Taco Bell today. There's nothing illegal about Taco Bell. Why would anybody cover this up? Yeah, it's very interesting. And but yet these people wrote a whole book on it and many they're... books have been written on it. And yeah. it's just complete horseshit. And uh, I, I mean it's it's sad because there's so much real psychedelic history in the world. And it's like there's so much real Christian I in my book, Psychedelic Mystery Traditions, I have three chapters on how christians use psychedelics three they wrote openly about this stuff the problem is all of these people writing these bullshit books about mushrooms and christian art they can't read latin they can't read old german or old spanish or old french or old italian so because they're ignorant of language they say oh it was covered up but if you can actually read the languages you'd say holy shit they didn't cover anything up that could be also a, a contribution of misinformation because a and I I got this again from Michael uh, Michael's book. The absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. Is that yeah, also? That's just what people say when they have. It's just a cheeky way of saying I have no evidence. Like it, it, it's it's simple. Walk into a court of law as a lawyer 
and say to the judge, well, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Your client is going to prison because no, no educated person. You know, I, I, I mean, we, we give concessions because most people are nice. I'm not. So I don't go by that at all. I'm a real asshole. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't do the if there's no evidence for it, maybe it happened. But, but until you come up with something. Well, but it's not just that there's no evidence to the holy mushroom hypothesis. It's that there is a barrage of counter evidence against it. So uh, on the topic of mushrooms, Santa Claus was not an Amanita muscaria. He wasn't tripping balls when he had the flying reindeer. And so that's that's out of the uh, out of the question. (laughs) Well, so. uh, Yes, it's out of the question. And let's let's just take a few examples. You mentioned the flying reindeer. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem with our idea of the flying reindeer, um, uh, that imagery being based off of reindeer getting high off the Amanita Muscaria, right? Here's the big problem. When reindeer first enter the Christmas story in America, they don't fly. The reindeer are literally a part of Christmas tradition for almost a century before they actually fly. And correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but Christmas comes from, and again, this is just things that I've looked into, the tradition, the holiday of Saturnalia, a Roman a Roman holiday. Come, yeah, it doesn't come from it, but it has, it certainly ripped off elements of Saturnalia. Uh, yes. Like there's no like the idea of goodwill towards your your fellow human, peace on earth, good tidings and great joy, all of that is Saturnalia. Gift giving, the color, yep. some of the say some of the colors, all of it. Um, the reason the I the the you know the the prominence of the evergreen tree that's all Saturnalia, and not just Saturnalia. All pagan winter festivals were like this. Yeah, so I bring up you, Saturnalia because I've. Obviously, I talk about the different archetypes throughout history and Kronos, Saturn, Satan, Moloch. All these are the same archetype. And again, at the end of the day, these people were, again, maybe sacrificing a higher entity if you want to call it Satan or not. That's why I bring that up. Well, I would I would argue and maybe I'm wrong, but you brought up earlier the Gnostic Yaldabaoth. I think Satan was actually based off Yaldabaoth, not Saturn. Oh yes, yes. Again, the archetype. And I, oh yes, yeah. oh sorry. Yes, you're yeah, the archetype. Yeah, yeah, the archetype. Because again, that's the thing about all of this that it's all the same thing, just different names. I misunderstood what you were saying. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. But yeah, so Yatoboth, which was the the what is it? The Jewish the Jewish Yahweh. That's why a lot of a lot of and the more I look into it, the more I believe it that these Gnostic groups they believed that the Old Testament was the work of demonic beings because yes. you have the whole child sacrifice, this righteous, jealous God killing. And then it was like, oh, just kidding. You know, <laughs> they'll wait yeah, the very right, last right, second. Right. Oh, just kidding. And yeah, it's very, JK. It's, yeah, JK. <laughs> it's very weird and dark. And when I, when I talk to people about that, people who are in the church, they're just like, God works in mysterious ways. And I go, Sure, because that's the thing, right? They always rebuttal it with something like, oh, he's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. And it's like, how can you argue with that, right? How can you argue with somebody who always has a... An, uh, 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 you talk about conspiracy theories. They always feel like they know everything. And they always have a rebuttal for whatever you say, a counter-argument for whatever you say. And that's how I feel about it. But it is what it is. 
Yeah, but it's it's also tautological because if somebody says, "Well, that's how God works in mysterious ways," it's like, "Well, then how do you know that if it's mysterious?" <laughs> <laughs> that's the response to that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you also talk about the use of cannabis. There was. Can you tell me the name of the guy who, before starting a, a sermon, he would light up the stalk of cannabis? Macarius. Yes, and then what other? entheogens that they use man you said mandrake cannabis opium. do you believe they use opium mm-hmm. oh do yeah believe... we have written evidence for opium do you believe they use mushrooms do you believe that oh, they yeah. were oh yeah absolutely i um i have no qualms at all with the idea that christians were eating mushrooms i have a big problem with the idea that they were painting it in art um uh there's you know, we're talking about a span of 2,000 years. People have been eating mushrooms all over the world since even before Christianity. There's there's nothing to suggest that people did not continue to eat mushrooms, um, especially um, converting pagans into the Christian faith would have. Yeah, they would have brought their mushrooms into it. Of course they would have, because, you know, religions are loose like that. I mean, look, it, it's the same thing today. Like, you know, you, you have somebody that's like, oh, I'm at... Let, let, they'll say that they're a diehard Christian, but they also cheat on their taxes and cheat on their wife. And, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's like, only when it's convenient. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, um, they're, they're buffet style Christianity. And that's been the case forever. And especially if you have people that are part and parcel of a pagan tradition that have grown up with these substances and used them their whole life, of course, they're going to bring them into Christianity. And Jewish people were using them too. I mean, you wouldn't even need converting pagans because of cannabism, which is what cannabis, you know, that's what the Jews called cannabis was cannabism. That's also in the Old Testament. Yes. And uh, when we talked about the Gnostics, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's his, his name is Epiphanius. Uh, Jesus, I can't Epiphanius. talk. Epiphanius, was he the one that criticized the Gnostics because he said that they were doing orgies and all this? Magic? Was, yeah, uh, Irenaeus was one of them. Epiphanius yeah. was another. Eusebius was another. Yeah, there was a bunch of them that were doing that. That's... And um, <laughs> guys like Epiphanius and guys like Irenaeus, I mean, they literally write in their slanders against Gnostics, they're using psychedelics, people. Don't you see that this is a like, you know? But it wasn't that they were using psychedelics that was the problem. It was that they were using psychedelics for like, oh, let's uh, let's take one example. There was a guy named Marcus who was a second century Valentinian Gnostic. He used psychedelic potions during his rites, but he wasn't using them to worship Jesus or the Christian God. He was using them to worship Charis, the goddess of grace. So it wasn't so much that the psychedelic was the problem. It's how he was using it that was the problem. Yes, yes. The the set, what they what we call the intention yes. when you take these substances, because that's very important. So moving on to my next question, and you talk about the use of these psychedelics, these these substances in certain secret societies or cults. It makes me think of the movie Midsummer, where they're using psychedelics and it's a cult and they're using it in this weird way to do these rituals and so have you seen that movie Midsummer? No, sounds great though. Yes, check it out. It's very dark. Very right. dark. And yeah, it's M I D S O M A R M M A R Mid Somar, if you want to Somar. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to say it. That's probably how you say it, but it's very I believe it's on Prime Video. You'd have to look it up, but it's, okay, they use. I'll definitely look it up. 
they used the I think I think they were using psilocybin because that's how the vi- when they did the visuals that's what it looked like to me. Um, so you're talking about these people, and this is something I've also come up with from research. I'll even go as far. So there's there's what are your thoughts? The question is what are your thoughts on the correlation between these higher entities and these substances? Because obviously maybe we do come up with it in our in our brains, which I believe. Or maybe we're put in different realms, which is, again, I, I believe that aspect. I'm sorry. That's what I believe, that we're put in different realms and we can see these things that we wouldn't normally see. And I'll go even as far to say that the Knights Templar and their supposed worship of Baphomet entities, which, again, through these entities, and, and we talked about aliens, maybe these entities are the aliens that give these people knowledge of things that they're able to achieve like how they say at the knights templar when they were talking to baphomet he gave them the tools through alchemic means to create the modern day banking system which is how we get the modern day credit system and interest and all that stuff that was created by them and that's how they were able to acquire all these riches and be powerful for a very long time and again that's part of the that's part of the catholic church that's something that a lot of people don't talk about but the knights templar were worshiping other entities. I don't know if it was through the use of, of substances. I haven't heard that aspect of it. But I'll go even as far as saying that, that these entities that they were talking to, perhaps they were through these uh, psychoactive substances. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's totally possible. Um, the, my, my very good friend and colleague, Chris Bennett, wrote a book called Libra 420, and he gets really deep into... The, uh, the Templar stuff um, with psychedelics. What's it called? Uh, Liber 420. I'm going to have to look that up. And he talks about their uses of psychedelics? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's big into that. I'm, I don't think personally that the evidence is, is conclusive on it. Um, I think they might have been. Uh, my take on the Templars is that they came back... Um, worshiping Allah and that was what the problem was that they were actually um getting digging into Muslim ideas Islamic ideas really that's uh, very interesting. yeah yeah because there was one of the um one of the names and I uh, I wish I could remember what it was I, I'm I'm searching for it and I don't remember but one of the names of the entity that um the Knights Templars detractors said they were worshiping sounds like Mohammed. Oh, Baph- Baphomet. Well, that's yeah, sure. They say it's it's uh it's uh, yeah they say it's you know it can be translated to yeah, Mohammed. Be, yeah. Yes, Baphomet, yes, I've, yeah. I have heard that. Just Mohammed. Yes. Uh, so I I'm more of that persuasion. Um, now that doesn't mean they weren't using psychoactives to worship Baphomet at all. I just again, it's not. What I what I have found looking through Christian history is that it's never the psychedelic that gets condemned. It's always how it's used that gets condemned. Like the very theologians that were condemning wise women for using mandrake and henbane and belladonna were using mandrake and henbane themselves. They were just using it to worship Jesus, so it was okay, whereas these wise women were using it to worship fertility goddesses, which was not okay. Yes. And again, the reason all this, these substances fascinate me is because everything that happens in the body is a chemical reaction, right? Our feelings, our thoughts. 
our vision. They're either chemical reactions or electrical signals. And these substances alter that in a way that puts you, again, in another dimension and able to interact with these intelligent entities. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine how these primates back then, you know, throwing out the Terrence McKenna thing, how they would have felt if they did pick this, this mushroom that was psychoactive, fresh, right? They're hungry, hunters and gatherers, and they just eat it. Can you imagine how that, how that primate must have felt like a god and he just <laughs> he's just probably first balls. really freaked out and then yeah <laughs> it, i would say that after the experience they were just like yeah they probably i mean they're i mean you know what it's like to eat mushrooms you're glowing after it it's like you know yeah. it's like you just got laid by the the creator of the whole universe it's amazing yeah yeah so again um to to wrap up here i talk a lot about i know you are well versed in the new testament I talk about the mystical comprehension of things and the literal comprehension of things, how obviously in the dark ages, uh, religion was used very literal and people believed it to a T. Obviously, we know how that turned out. And then I, I talk about the book Revelations where the, and I want to get your input on this, the 666 mark of the beast, which obviously what's happening in times now, how they're talking about some sort of thing that they're going to put on us how that symbolized Nero and the Roman Empire, the infamous you know, Roman Emperor Nero and the Roman Empire, and the seven-headed dragon was the seven emperors of Rome. Mm -hmm. And I feel that if that is true, because a lot of these people, we talk about the symbolism. We have to pay attention to the symbolism. But some people, if you get lost in the, sim in the symbology, you lose the interpretation, the meaning of it. And if yeah. this is true, because Garmatria, the practice of Hebrew having values, if you really dig into it, that's what it's supposed to be, because he can't come out and say, John, the author of this book, can't come out and say, hey, Nero's a piece of shit, whatever, because if you really think about what was happening in that point in time, they were prosecuting and killing people, Christians, and that's what he was talking about. And if that is true, it would discredit almost the entire book and perhaps the entire religion, because God's been coming since I was like eight years old, and he's still, you know, I'm, I'm about to be 26 this week, uh, this upcoming week, and he's still not here. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, oh what? Go ahead. Oh no, what were you gonna say? So, uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm gonna get into uh, the medieval. We already talked about this. The depictions of mushrooms, um, which is up for interpretation. Again, if you take it literally, maybe it might have been something else. Well, no, one of the one of the problems with that is that, you know, you we can actually look at medieval art books, for example, from the Winchester School which is in England, where a lot of that, that kind of zany looking tree actually comes from. And 100% of the time, they're called trees. I got you. Yeah. So, but again, it's like an Abydos in Egypt, where there are depictions of supposed spaceships and a boat and an airplane and like some crazy thing. But it's just where the Egyptians would fill in hieroglyphs and they would, it, it's just, they would, mark on top of on top of other hieroglyphs and fill it mm -hmm. in and fill it in and it was just over time it coming apart and it looks like that because that's what we know it to be it wasn't well, the, necessarily that but yeah you know what it's I mean? what we recognize and again it's the same thing like we're psychonauts so when we see something that could kind of be mushroomy in shape we default to mushroom but the people living in those days they they didn't think most people living in medieval times were just trying to eke by a, a, you know, a loaf of bread to survive. 
they were not thinking about, you know, most common people, I mean, they were not thinking about eating mushrooms for, you know, godlike experiences. Of course, there were probably people doing that. We have zero evidence of it, but they're, they're, I, I, I think it's ridiculous to assume that nobody was eating mushrooms at that time. That's just absurd. We want to believe it because it sounds cool, right? <laughs> yeah, and we want to, exactly. We want to believe it because it sounds cool. And one of the things about the, the there's a whole psychology behind conspiracy theory. The world is very chaotic. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And what conspiracy theory does, it allows you to make sense of the world. It it puts chaos into a neat little package but the truth is no the world is just chaotic it's not it's not a neat little package for anybody so dare i say that's the same thing as religion <laughs> yeah yeah so i've enjoyed this a lot tom one last question for you before we wrap this up how has your in, your research influenced your views on 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 life religion everything and what is next you'll you have a book coming out when it'll be out uh may of next year may 2021 okay great yeah so i can i'm gonna actually take a look at the what was it psych, the history of psychedelic practices was, was that the one what what's that which is your book, the one, the... Oh, Psychedelic Mystery Traditions. Psychedelic Mystery. Yeah, I'm going to probably check that one out because, again, I, I didn't read any of your work. I watch your YouTube videos and I listen to other podcasts you were on and some of your lectures as well. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, how, how has this changed your views on everything? Do you believe it to be all fake or do okay. you believe, uh, you know? So um, how it's changed my view is that I actually used to believe that there were mushrooms in Christian art. As just a starter, um, um, I used to believe, so there's, and I guess I get in with this. Most of, there were two spheres of psychedelic history. The first sphere was written by very intelligent people who were not historians. Guys like John Marco Allegro, um, Dennis McKenna, Paul Stamets, Albert Hoffman, Gordon Wasson, all very smart in their field. None of them actually historians, none of them actually applied the critical historical methods that historians use to determine what is probably true and what is not. Now, the second sphere is being written today by guys like Danny Nemu, Rob Dickens, who I mentioned, Kerry Roberry, Erica Dick, Chris Bennett, who I mentioned, myself, um, uh, uh, Mike J. And we're actually using critical historical methods to detect where did that first sphere get everything wrong? So I used to believe all of the ideas of the first sphere, that mushrooms and Christian art, the Stone Dave hypothesis, that women were masturbating with broomsticks, with their ointments. None of those things are probably true. And that's how my research, it's, it's really, if you're open-minded enough to change your mind, which I believe that I am, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to have to do a 180 in life. And it's just, it's just like that. Now, one of the things some people do like Jerry Brown, who wrote the psychedelic gospels is that every time some counter evidence comes his way, he just either ignores it. 90% of the time he ignores it. The other 10% of the time he just dances around it. That is not, uh, that that's your you you stop being a scholar at that point and yeah. you become an ideologue 
And one of the problems is that these ideas have been so ingrained in our culture that you are considered to be a crazy person, like I'm considered to be a crazy person, for questioning it. Because again, if you were to Google any of this nonsense, it'll all come up as being true. Again, nothing against Google, but it's just that first sphere of psychedelic history has had a lot of influence. And because people today don't really have original ideas, they just kind of rewrite other people's articles. And so what happens is if you were to, you know, Google was Santa based on a mushroom, you're going to see a hundred articles that all say yes, but all they were doing was rewriting whatever that first article said. And that sounds first like, article was wrong. Mike, sounds like the gospels in the Bible. Well, and then I want to just got to say one last thing. My colleague, who I'm actually writing a show that we're going to be shopping to Netflix in, as soon as coronavirus is over, not to bring it up, um, he calls it the citation circle jerk. It's everybody's just citing everybody, jerking themselves off, uh, inflating their egos. Nobody's actually checking to see if that first guy was actually right. That's what I do. That's what Chris Bennett does. That's what Kerry Roberry does. That's what Danny Nemu does. That's what this new, the second sphere of psychedelic historian is doing. We're going back and we're saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. Before we all get start jerking each other off in, this, in the citation circle here, was the original guy even on point? Nine times out of ten, the answer is no. Yeah, I was saying that it's like the Gospels in the Bible where they're writing the same thing based on the original ones and they're going back and just adding things and it's like they never fact check. It's very true what you're saying. It's yeah, they, going in this circle, talking about the same thing, just wording it differently every single time. And it's like, oh, I came up with this. No, you didn't. You're just saying what the other guy said. Yeah, of course. Uh, Luke and Matthew are complete ripoffs of the Gospel of Mark and neither one of them actually <laughs> went back to see if Mark was right. Exactly. Uh, one more thing before we we because I I want to I want to go on air and say that I was wrong about something uh, to an extent about the Bavarian purity law of 1516. Is it because I've I've again I'll go out and say it. I've I've talked about it on the show where they the church found out about these people meeting God through the use of of beer and drinking. When they found out, that's when they passed the law in 1516. Is that not true? Tom, from... okay. yeah, it had nothing to do the 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 Reinheimsgebot, which is the, which is the Bavarian beer law. Um, what it came down to was this: there was just a shortage of different kinds of wheat and grains that only that um and, and so you had this competition and this fighting between beer makers and bakers and pastry chefs and bread makers. So that law was put in place to just say, oh no, you guys can use this. You guys use this. You guys use this. You you guys use this. That's it. Doesn't say anything about psychoactives in the law. Nothing. But they were probably they probably were meeting God through through drinking beer. Then <laughs> oh, they were. So today we have okay. You've heard of a pilsner. Mm -hmm. Pilsner is based off of the German word bilsen, which is their word for henbane. So pilsenkraut just means henbane herb beer. And we've retained that the same way I'm sure you and your listeners know that Coca-Cola used to contain cocaine. Yeah. That's why it's called Coca-Cola. Even though it doesn't have cocaine anymore, we've retained the name. Same thing with Pilsners. They retained the name of Henbane because people were people were putting mushrooms in their beers. They were putting opium in their beers. They were putting mandrake in their beers. Absolutely. But that's not why the law was put in place. Everybody was putting enhancements in their beers. Even the guys that wrote the Reinheimskabat were doing this. Like... <laughs> 
You know what I mean? They didn't care about psychoactive. There was no, like, that was the first actual law about this stuff. And it had nothing to do with psychoactives at all. Nobody cared. It wasn't, it would be, again, it's just like saying that in 2020, it was perfectly legal to eat Burger King, perfectly legal to eat Wendy's, but you had to go to an underground cult to enjoy Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's just, it's, 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 it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'll just go out and say that I that I that I was wrong and I talked about it one time. Shout yeah, out to Paul. That's Stam- not your fault. That's Paul Stamets' fault because yeah. the the problem is, and that that's one of the problems with psychedelic celebrityism. Look, I like Paul Stamets. I I think he's a brilliant mycologist, but he knows about as much of history as I know about mycology, which is yeah. to say, not much at all. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And again, that's why I say I regurgitate information that I hear. And sometimes it's like playing telephone. You get it wrong. Sometimes you don't. But if the original source was wrong, then you're going to be wrong no matter what because you're not fact check. I can't check them. So, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this. I love talking about this sort of thing and, and learning new new ideas and new things about history, which is very interesting because there is a correlation here between, I feel there's a correlation between the, how Nikola Tesla said, as long as soon as we find the correlation between the physical and non-physical phenomenon, you know, we'll advance. And it's, it's very, it's very real. And again, that's what quantum physics is trying to do today, trying to find that correlation between consciousness and the physical world. One more time for the listeners, where can they find your work and where can they reach out to you if they want to? Sure. Um, Psychedelichistorian.com. And if you're interested, I have several articles that go further into debunking the holy mushroom hypothesis. If your listeners are interested, Um, I also have a YouTube page, which is just I I don't have enough um, subscribers yet to have it be youtube.com slash psychedelic historian. But if you just go to YouTube and just type in psychedelic historian, all my stuff will come up. And then on uh, Instagram psychedelic history. so pretty much social media slash psychedelic historian and it'll it'll all be there right on and I want to thank you again Tom for talking to me today and I really had a great time me too. and I did it's enjoy true. our talk <laughs> yeah dude no seriously like this was fantastic it was so much more conversational uh you know which is what I prefer sometimes it's like interviewers it's like they ask this question and then i talk for five minutes then they ask a question i'd end it like with no carryover from what was said but uh, you know it was you're a great interviewer man like i'm not just saying that to flatter you like you you actually listen like i've done interviews and like i could literally hear in the background that they're like in their kitchen cooking food because i could hear pots and pans <laughs> you know clinking and and the faucet turned on and it's like dude in the very least mute your microphone so that yeah. you know the whole world doesn't know that you're not even listening you know that you don't care that much so thank you this is fantastic dude you are great at this thank you tom i appreciate that and whenever you want to come on man you let me know and we can shoot the shit it doesn't have to be about it can be about whatever i try and stick to a certain topic that way i can name my episodes but i've done free form where we just talk about whatever and and again when it comes to this realm i'm I'm a student i learn from people like you i think it's a privilege that i can speak to people like you who again know more than i do and that's what i'm here for and that's why when i'm whenever i'm doing an interview you know i give the person 100 percent of my attention because i want to learn from this and this is this podcast is an archive of things for me and i listen to my own podcast dude i'll fucking put it on and i'll listen and, and again if i forgot something i'll hear and i go oh wow that's what that was and again 
uh whenever you want to come on you just let me know and we'll, we'll you know shoot the shit i will i'm a student too so i look forward to learning more from you as well i appreciate it tom thank you so much thank you Juan. peace and there you have it ladies and gentlemen that was tom hatsis make sure to check out his work i will put his links in the episode notes also make sure to check us out at the juan juan podcast on instagram also make sure to check out our shirts i am doing custom art for those and if you want to reach out to me i want to hear from you guys i want to see if you guys are enjoying the show what you guys think i'm open to all types of criticism i don't give a fuck so reach out to me the juan on juan podcast at gmail.com and as always stay safe and until next time $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus.